Hello, this is Pastor Becca Bateman of Doylestown Presbyterian Church. As our podcast audience continues to grow, I want to thank our loyal listeners and welcome those who may have just recently found us. We know that life can quickly become so busy, so this podcast offers an on-the-go opportunity to hear Sunday's sermon, along with a scripture lesson from that day's lay leader or preacher. We also encourage you to visit our website at dtownpc.org to learn more about our church and all the diverse ministries. Thank you for tuning in. Our second scripture reading this morning comes from Exodus chapter 14, and it's a continuation of the story. So for those of you who are following along, and for those of you online, you can see it in your pew Bible on page 60. Hear these words that God has for you. As Pharaoh drew near, the Israelites looked back, and there were the Egyptians advancing on them. In great fear, the Israelites cried out to the Lord, and they said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us, bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the very thing we told you in Egypt? Let us alone, let us serve the Egyptians, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die here in the wilderness. But Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm. See the deliverance that the Lord will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians who you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to keep still. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry out to me? Tell the Israelites to go forward. But you lift up your staff. Stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, and the Israelites will go across the dry land. Then I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go after them, and so I will gain glory for myself over Pharaoh and all his army and his chariots and his chariot drivers, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gained glory for myself over Pharaoh his chariots, and his chariot drivers. The angel of God, who was going before the Israelite army, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from in front of them and took its place behind them. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? O Lord, we know that you are an ever-present help in our times of trouble. And as we read these words, we similarly find ourselves in a place like the Israelites, needing your constant presence and guiding us. Guide us through this scripture as we hear your word for us today. In your name we pray, amen. He dipped his hands into the cool, icy water and took a long drink. Fifteen months of hard travel and seemingly endless string of days from slogging upstream, Meriwether Lewis recalled that he had endured nervous nights in a strange land, mosquitoes galore, dark cold winter, and the worst, the grizzly bears. A month-long portage around an immense waterfall and a death of a companion 
were almost too much for him and his travelers. This is a passage from the book Commuting the Mountains by Todd Bolsinger, which some of you might be familiar with. And in, in it, he describes a journey of Lewis and Clark as they head into uncharted territory. For Lewis, slaking his thirst from that stream meant he was about to realize his dream that centuries of pioneers would be remembered for this moment as he discovered the most highly prized Northwest Passage. Lewis believed that he was going to walk up this hill, look down a gentle slope, and there his men, a half-day canoe ride. They would see the Columbia River. And after 15 months of going upstream and against all odds, they were looking forward to sailing blue into the Pacific Ocean. They would crest this hill, they would find this stream, and they would coast down to the finish line. And they couldn't have been more disappointed with what they saw. Lewis actually discovered that something that 300 years of specialists and experts had guessed was wrong. In front of him was not a gentle slope or a navigable river running into the Pacific Ocean, but the giant Rocky Mountains. Todd Bolsinger uses this journey of Lewis and Clark to describe the church stepping into uncharted territory. And we can deeply resonate with his fears and his doubts. Now, he wrote the book in 2015, but it was certainly true before 2015 and is certainly true now. The church is ever needing to be not just canoeing down an easy slope. It will forever be a place and an uphill climb. But it's also the place where we meet God and those beautiful mountain-tip peaks. If you've ever been able to see a chance at the Rocky Mountains, you know that it is a place to find God. God's people and God's church are in sometimes. We are in uncharted territory. Now we're going to have to decide. Do we want to settle for the past? Or do we want to go forward? Because a good past, all that has been accomplished, will tempt us to settle. Because we are better than we used to be, have gone further than we have imagined, have done what we never thought we could do, and now we feel like even moving a little bit, we're unsure in our step. We don't have the right tools. We need to put down the canoes. Now, have we decided to quit while we're ahead? To sit here being living monuments to the past, when the whole purpose of what had happened and the learning and growing that has happened, isn't it all to prepare us to go forward as people of God? Now, when you're in the middle of something challenging and the future is hard to face, who do you trust? Now, change can be hard, and we prefer a situation that we are familiar with. How do we go forward with the possibilities that are before us? So we go to the scriptures, and today describes when Pharaoh let God's people go. The people of Israel leave Egypt and are in the wilderness. We thought that the Israelites' escape from Egypt meant that the exodus was over. All they needed to do was to march to the promised land, 
taking Joseph's bones, the wishes of a whole ancestral family, and they are to go and put them at rest in the promised land. Now God takes them in a roundabout way through the wilderness towards the Red Sea and leads them by a pillar of light by night in the form of fire and a cloud by day, never leaving their sight. Now we're not sure if they fled or were pushed out exactly of Egypt, and we're not sure exactly why Pharaoh comes after them. But here his army comes, and here they are between an army and a sea, a cul-de-sac, if you will. The Israelites are up against their first odds, and they immediately complain and want to go back to the familiar. They don't like this change. That sure sounds familiar. But yet they are reminded that the Lord is with them, that God does not abandon them, and that God stays with them as a constant and visible presence. And then the unimaginable happens. God parts the waters, the Israelites walk through to on dry ground, and the Egyptians don't. And as we read in verse 19, the angel of God who was going before the Israelite army moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from in front of them and took its place behind them, surrounding them in a fog. Not one that was to cloud their vision, but one that was to provide them a surrounding evidence of God's presence in and through their lives. Now, when reading these details, more questions come to mind than answers, really. How did the plagues which caused Pharaoh to want the Israelites to go exactly happen? Why did Pharaoh come back after them? Why did God take them in a roundabout way? What exactly was burning in this pillar of fire? Or what molecules were formed to be this cloud that they followed? How exactly did the waters part and then replenish at the exact time when the Egyptian army was there? Frustratingly enough, the story gives us a lot of concrete details, but none about any of these wanderings. Rather than linger about what it does not tell us, we can linger about what it does tell us. It helps us focus and put stress on the fact that God guides them in no matter what. God has a bigger picture in mind, and God uses yet another confrontation that once again emphasizes that Yahweh is God, to be feared in a good way, and that Israel gives up fearing in the bad way of future, and that's only going to be led by God. Now, forward thinking isn't new to DPC. The vision during the time of Uriah Du Bois was to build a church. Not simply a physical structure, although that certainly happened, but an academy that linked two churches and Deep Run. And it is recorded that, and I quote, during his years at Doylestown Church, he started Sabbath School, another school for colored adults, and a congregational library, organized a female prayer meeting and a Bible class, and distributed tracts. Now, this forward thinking continued with Silas Andrews, who pastored for over 50 years with an incredible dedication to teaching and education to all. 
Later was William Hayes Moore, who during his time, the Christian Endeavor Society became the most flourishing organization of the church and did much to improving the status of women in the church, proving that they were as capable as men. Dr. Larrabee's five years had forward-thinking ideas leading both a group of young men's league and also a recognition of the value of women's participation in church affairs. DPC did not, cover, did not suffer from short-sightedness and was caught up in the horizon of God's world. One pastor after another, Waddell, Stackle, Hostetter, they all focused on the importance of Christian education and buildings to house these great endeavors for adults and youth. And that's evidence in the building of what became later known as Andrews Hall. In 1960, pastored by Thomas Gosselin, the congregation became committed to community needs as well. Alcoholics meetings, a nursery for disadvantaged children, and the scouts continued to flourish. George Haynes highlighted being committed to the mission of the church building bridges between the more and the less privileged in a time when many were moving from inner-city Philadelphia to the suburbs. And during the time of Kenneth Hollenbaugh, DPC saw an outgroup of multiple youth programs in the community and one partnership with Doylestown Hospital. One particular note for William Barger, hired in May of 1978 to the Congregational Pastoral Search Team, it was quoted, they had sought a person who could help lead a congregation of 1,500 members, which had some apprehension about its future. He was a perfect fit, and likewise could be said about our most recent head of staff, John Willingham. A congregation unsure about their future, and yet it was the congregation who held them together through all of this. Now, whether you're Meriwether Lewis up against the mountains and you realize that you need to ditch your canoe, or us in the state of transition, or the Israelites up against the Red Sea. I bet the Israelites wish they had a canoe during the Red Sea. <laughs> Nonetheless, they're all challenged by the landscape, and they're also challenged by the landscape before us. Thriving in the midst of transition can be our theme. Walking through challenging scriptures together, not only to rely on what we're told, but to see for ourselves against maybe a political system created by people that are imperfect. And we know the path laid out in the Christian world. And we are called as Christians to be in the political involvement and not be apathetic. Yet we're still unsure how exactly to go forward and what to follow as we go forward. We're unsure for the fear of saying too much, as it might be offensive to our siblings in Christ, but yet God calls us to speak up on behalf of those who cannot speak for themselves. And that doesn't mean those who literally cannot speak, but also those who have gone hoarse from shouting for generations. Unsure exactly how to hold tension of being a political person and a spiritual person, and also at the same time holding each other accountable. There might be complications and there might be challenges 
just like the Israelites going through the wilderness. But through the process of winding and unexpected bumps, the resiliency that we will gain through the process and every twist and turn will continue to bring us together. We've got to walk through this Red Sea together. And God is there. God has always been there, and God will be there, protecting us and guiding us, maybe in the form of a cloud surrounding us. So even as I gave out the backpack tags earlier to the children, and we'll continue giving those out, they are a tangible reminder of God's presence in our life and how God is. Might we only just open our eyes to God's eternal and grateful presence in our life. For the Bible tells us what is true. God is a refuge and a fortress and a refuge in strength, an ever-present help in a time of trouble. God is a dwelling place for all generations. God is from everlasting to everlasting. The Lord is our shepherd, our keeper, and our shade, our king, our rock, our stronghold our light and our salvation, mercifully gracious and slow to anger, steadfast in love, a waymaker, a protector, help, and a healer. God answers prayers in the past and the present. God will work to have us have eyes to see and ears to hear that God is still work here and now. Now is time to become aware of God's presence surrounding us. The cloud is a physical representation of an ever-present help in all times. Because you know the end of the story. God blows back the wet walls of the Red Sea and beckons them to walk across dry land. And you know the end of another story. How Jesus was hung high and stretched wide, but on Sunday morning, with all God's power and glory, was there. God can do it. God will do it. And now we found ourselves in a place where we're following God. And I wonder what adventures we'll go on together. Amen and amen. Thank you again for joining us today. Once again, I invite you to check out dtownpc.org for information about our worship and programming for all ages.